Hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to a new episode of Qualia today we are going to talk about the ongoing crisis happening in the middle east and especially understand the roots of the crisis in this episode how can a global crisis be addressed without mentioning about the part played by the queen and her empire the british during the 1800s the indian subcontinent was british's most profitable colony british through the east india company would trade a lot with india this trade would happen through the ottoman empire the middle eastern region at that time the british started to take interest into the affairs of ottoman empire in early 1830s when it feared russian expansion into europe and central asia the british basically wanted to safeguard the trade route to the indian subcontinent as going through the middle east was the most viable way to trade with india if not for this route british would have to go all the way around the african subcontinent to reach india and would eventually lose control to one of its most profitable colony soon france joined in and together they would control the ottoman empire till the first world war after which it became bankrupt and had to leave the region british true to their nature left the empire in a chaotic state even from this chaos there emerged two countries giants iran and the monarch the kingdom of saudi arabia on one hand the kingdom of saudi arabia is today the largest economy in the middle east and 18th largest in the whole world with a per capita gdp of a mind numbing 56817 us dollars and on the other hand iran with a population of 83 million people is home to the world's oldest civilization with both the countries blessed with huge oil reserves on paper they seem to have everything but still we hear frequently about the unrest that is happening in the middle east due to the power struggle between these two countries so in today's episode of qualia we'll try to understand the root cause for the emergence of this war where does this all start from i think it all boils down to the 1979 iranian revolution to think about this revolution this was a revolution which had its forefront led by the islamic clergy that which ruled over iran today now why did this revolution happen in the first place there was this dynasty called the pahlavi dynasty they were the ones who were ruling over persia or later renamed as iran yes persia and iran are the same for those of you who don't know this and the people of iran being a very high populated islamic country they don't speak arab they speak farsi now what happened in the iranian revolution he wanted to transform iran as a westernized nation he westernized iran he modernized iran he secularized iran and who suffered backlash from this again the islamic clergy the government of mohammad reza shah pahlavi it was strongly against the separation of sexes it was strongly against the islamic traditional clothing and especially the veiling of women women who resisted his ban had their hijabs forcibly removed or torn this single act ruptured the rapport between the islamic shia clergy and the government of mohammad reza shah pahlavi and the leader of shia clergy ayatollah khomeini declared that shah had embarked on a destruction of islam in iran he even denounced shah as the wretched miserable man now what did mohammad reza shah do he sent ayatollah khomeini to exile where he remained for 14 years he sent the leader of shia clergy into exile for about 14 years i think we've just been talking about talking for the islamic fundamentalists i'd also like to stress on the points 
were the modernization and secularization efforts of Muhammad Raza Shah Pahlavi, they were fruitful to Iran too. Like for example, in 1963, when he took power, $555 million, that was the revenue of the whole oil industry. That was the worth of the whole oil industry. By 1975, the whole oil industry had boomed to a whopping $20 billion economy. It just transcended to a different level under the rule of Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi. If you talk about the modernization efforts, I think there is concrete evidence on the first page of Google that you'll get. Go to Google Images and you search Iran before the 1979 Iranian revolution and Iran after the Iranian revolution. You can see clear pictures of how Iran had been reformed by Mohammad Reza Shah. In 1963, he did something called the White Revolution. In that movement, he gave voting rights for women. He allowed women to go to universities to study. He did all kinds of westernization reforms, but the fundamentalists were never happy about this. And after the exile of Ayatollah Khomeini, they again came into the picture, but this time even more fiercely, because Mohammad Reza Shah's autocracy gave a lot of rights to women, they revolted against this because they thought giving rights to women was un-Islamic. They blamed him for not having a valid democracy. It all vowed to something called the Iranian revolution. In 1979, the protests reached its peak. People were shot and the protests got even fiercer. Along with the support of the citizens, Ayatollah Khomeini was able to overthrow the government of Mohammad Reza Shah who later fled to the U.S. If you think why there is constant friction between the U.S. and Iran, it is because of the sole fact that when Mohammad Reza Shah fled Iran, U.S. accepted him with open arms. That's why to this very day, Iranians have this hostility towards the Americans. The way you explain it to me, I get why the Islamic clergy was against him. But why did the people go against him? It's a mistake that people do often. Like, think about the rise of the communist regime. People were dissatisfied with the wages that they were being paid. So they brought into the communist ideologies. And as a result of it, millions of people died. Same goes for Nazism. People think that the time that they live in, they think that it's bad. What's happening to them, they think that they don't deserve it. But still, you know that the devil is in the details. And if you want to shake the details, if you want to shake the structure of a system, you're messing with an unstoppable force. The system has been built over centuries. And these systems, they have a profound foundation. And if you think that you can make something that brilliant in one lifetime of one person, things get to go very wrongly. That's what happened to Iran. So now... As I said, the Islamic clergy is now extremely against the Pahlavi dynasty's government, Mohammad Reza Shah's government. Now, what happens here? Mohammad Reza Shah, when he comes to power, he promises his people of a so-called great civilization. And he evidently he worked towards that too. But in the late 1970s, there was this wave of unemployment in Iran. And I suppose you think that it is a mistake of Muhammad Reza Shah, but let me remind you, it's not. Think about India. 
in 1970s think about the unemployment problem that was there it was it was huge man it was unfathomable before globalization in india now that's for india now iran invaded by the british and soviets this country had its setbacks iran also had the same issue that other hundreds of countries possessed there was just no work man so but the iranians thought that this was due to the inefficiency of mohammad reza shah's government they brought into the islamic fundamentalist doctrines and they joined the protests with the islamic fundamentalists along with left wing parties like marxists they just toppled the government overnight and ayatollah khomeini became the supreme leader of iran making iran a democratic republic of islamic theocracy now let me tell you how this government functions there's president there's prime minister everyone's there everyone does their job the president and prime minister they are elected to democratic election process but this supreme leader it's ayatollah khomeini he just sits there there is no election for him the leader of the islamic clergy he becomes the supreme leader of iran now no matter the decisions that the prime minister or president takes if the islamic clergy's leader ie the supreme leader of iran were to intervene they can't implement those laws they can't do anything that the supreme leader doesn't want them to do now tell me how is this different from a monarchy or autocracy i'm i don't blame it entirely on the fundamentalists they had their traditional grounds shaken by mohammad reza shah's government in a modernization pact but i think the big price you pay for something so yeah the people revolted against mohammad reza shah because of the unemployment problems that were prevailing in iran but it was quite common for that time okay from what you say i understand that on the one hand we have iranian people overthrowing reza shah and they brought in ayatollah khomeini as their leader it's their own personal affairs as a population they can bring whomever they want so how did this lead to iran having troubles with saudi yes as you mentioned earlier the kingdom of saudi arabia was one of the first countries to be formed in the middle east and saudi had a really stable monarchy the people of saudi arabia they didn't have any problem with their monarchs they were happy with their kings and princes now what happened the saudis they are going on a well designed trajectory sailing on a well shielded boat now they are just happy the people of saudi arabia they have good economy they have good international ties they are just happy they have built cities and roads all over the country with the oil money they are just doing great now what does the islamic clergy of iran what do they say they say that having a monarchy is un-islamic they say that democracy should be everywhere while they themselves has their supreme leader above their president and prime minister who are elected by the people after the iranian revolution the government of mohammad reza shah falls ayatollah khomeini becomes the supreme leader and there is a democratic setup in iran now now the islamic clergy says that iran should be the religious headquarters of islam they say that every country in the middle east should adopt such policies which are favored by islam and to exterminate the policies which were considered to be un-islamic by the clergy so what did they do this iranian revolution what which was a pro-democratic movement now they plan on exporting it 
to other Middle East countries, they, where there is also a great Islamic population, they want to push this pro-democratic revolution into the regime of other countries in the Middle East. Now, the Saudis, who are sailing on a perfectly safe boat, they're shaken by this. The last thing that they want in their country is for a pro-democratic movement that is fired up in all the neighboring countries. And eventually, their people start building mindsets that monarchy is un-Islamic or their people are willing to go towards a democratic government. It would throw the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia off their stable feet. So this shockwave of the Iranian revolution's exportation triggers a hostility which enacts a great deal of havoc in the entire Middle East. Did the Saudis feel offended about the Iranian revolution? No, not at all. They were shocked to hear about the export of Iranian revolution to the other Islamic countries. So, yes, that's the reason why the Saudi and uh, Iran have this hostility built into them. We could see that there was this deep ideological disagreement between these two countries. But actually, did any of these two countries do something that led to situations as we see them today? Yes, Rohan. So maybe I can talk a little bit on that. So as Pradeep said, the Iranians wanted to export the idea of their revolution to neighboring countries which were mostly Sunni Islam. Iran was the only Shia Islamic country and the other Sunni countries were afraid of a revolution happening in their own backyard. The first to act was Saddam Hussein. He started a war with Iran in 1980. The other Sunni countries supported him and supplied weapons. The war was long and it lasted for eight years. The Iranians knew that they cannot impose their ideas to brute force and war, so they established a special force in their military called the Quds Force. These forces came under the direct control of their supreme leader Ayatollah Khomeini under what was called the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Iran saw a perfect opportunity to use this unit in the Lebanese civil war. The US and Israel were directly involved in this civil war in Lebanon. The Iranians started controlling the Shia militias by supplying them with weapons and money, and this led to the formation of a group called Hezbollah in Lebanon. They were successful in driving out the US and Israel from Lebanon, but the cost of the victory was high. They committed a lot of murder and were involved in a lot of bombing. In 1998, Qasim Soleimani was appointed the commander of the Quds Force. A small backstory about him. So he was just a normal construction worker who in 1980 led a company of soldiers and had a lot of victories in the war between Iraq. He was also a very good follower of the Supreme Leader. And then he quickly rose ranks and became the leader of the Quds Force and a major general of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. It is even said that he was the second most powerful man in Iran right after the Supreme Leader. In 2003, when the US invaded Iraq, there were a lot of Shia and Sunni militias in Iraq. Soleimani took this opportunity and took command of these Shia militias and was successful in establishing a Shia presence in Iraq. Shia was the minority in Iraq, but they now became the rulers, all thanks to Soleimani. In 2005, Soleimani cooperated with the US in plots against Al-Qaeda and Bin Laden. He also played an important role in Syria. He was in support of the rule of Bashar al-Assad and he made the Hezbollah fighters from Lebanon, Shia militias which he now controlled in Iraq and Syria, and Iranian soldiers to fight along the Syrian soldiers. He also helped in the Russian involvement in the Syrian civil war. He was a very powerful man in the Middle East who controlled a lot of these militias who committed a lot of killings. That is the reason why the US condemned him as a terrorist. 
Most of the militias he commands in the Middle East are called terrorist groups by the United Nations and the European Union. This is one of the main reasons why he was killed earlier this year by a drone strike led by the US. However, there is also another side to this story. In the Middle East, he is a hero, especially to the people of Iran. After his death, people not only mourned in Iran but also in other countries in the Middle East where he had a strong influence. As you can see, a lot of this conflict revolves around the divide between Sunni and Shia Islam. So maybe one of you guys can elaborate a little bit more on the divide between Sunni and Shia Islam. I think I can explain about this. There are about 1.6 billion Muslim people living around the world. Of this 1.6 billion people, you see the Islam religion is divided into two major sects. The Sunni majority, about 80% and the Shia minority, about 20% of the whole population. This divide started with the death of Muhammad at 632 AD when majority people wanted to choose Muhammad's successors and they chose Abu Bakr, Muhammad's close friend as their caliph. And this group of people would come to know as Sunni. Then there were this minority who wanted the leadership of Islam to be in Muhammad's family and they followed Ali, Muhammad's son-in-law as their Imam or head of the state and these people are today known as Shia. This is the main source of divide between them. Today, we could find Shia people living in Iran, Iraq, Pakistan and parts of India whereas Sunni people live in Saudi Arabia and neighboring Islamic states. I have been friends with people from both these sects and personally have been seeing them living harmoniously. They are clueless about this war that's happening like you and me. It's the extremist group from both these sects that oppress each other. This was clearly visible in Iraq which is a Sunni minority state. There was a deep history of oppression between these two states and when Saddam Hussein, who is from a minority Sunni population, came to power, started oppressing the majority Shia population. He was even hanged to death for killing 148 Shias. Once he was removed, the majority Shia again started to oppress the minority and the cycle continues to this day with the formation of various militant groups like ISIS who are from the oppressed minority population. But I think it is unfair to talk about this civil war as a war between Shiites and Sunnis because millions of people who are Muslim are Shiites and Sunnis and these people live harmoniously and have nothing to do with the war. This conflict also like other conflicts of caste, religion, nationality, etc. that is found in other parts of the world is underneath just a conflict about power. It's about the power of who dominates whom using what reasons. So that's it for this episode of Qualia and this story of the Cold War and the consequences it has on millions of people living in the Middle East would continue in the future episodes. Stay tuned and see you guys in the next one.